Thanks, Chow. Uh, thank you. Next week, Chow will be testifying again. <laughs> um, I don't know if there's anyone uh, who feels like Chow did, um, but if you, if you uh, do feel that way, um, yeah, we hope you know that there's a place in here uh, at the table, and um, yeah, we want to walk with you. Um, so can you uh, just look at the person next to you and say, I'm really glad that you're here. I'm really glad that you're here. I'm glad that uh, Sir Ken and Duty, Sir Best are here. Can we give them a round of applause? Yeah. Maybe you guys need to stand up in case uh, people don't know who you are. Yeah, there they are. All right. We are uh, nine days away from Christmas. Pretty amazing, right? That's awesome. We've been talking in the past uh, couple weeks about this uh, Advent conspiracy where, um, yeah, we're just really trying to, to, to get back at the heart of what, what Christmas is all about, this four, four-pronged approach. Uh, as we move into Christmas, we want to worship fully, we want to spend less, uh, we want to give more, and we want to love all. That's our desire. Uh, last week, I talked about how the average American, uh, I know some of you are not American, um, you're, yeah, you come from different places and different backgrounds, but the average American spends uh, $930 on Christmas gifts, okay? Um, last week, someone wanted to fact check that and looked it up and said, hey, you know what, you also said that we spend $600 billion a year on Christmas shopping, but if you multiply 930 by the population of America, it doesn't, doesn't get to that. Um, $600 billion are spent not only on gifts, but on decorations and food and eggnog and all of that other stuff that goes into the celebration of our consumer-driven Christmas. And so $600 billion. And the challenge last week, two weeks ago, is if, if we worshiped fully, maybe we would spend less. And maybe that can help us to get back into the heart of Christmas. Last week, um, as I was standing at the door greeting people, there's a couple people, a couple uh, high school, uh, middle, one high schooler, one middle schooler, and a couple adults who said, you know what, man, I really wish that I had heard this message years earlier because I really want to get this. I really want to know what Christmas is about, but it's escaped me for all of these years. Someone else, one, one of our eighth graders said, uh, is there, I wish there was a way that the whole world could hear this message. And I said, I wish there was too. But maybe, at least through some of us, um, we can incarnate, live out this message. Because there's in me this, this, this real, and you can read it in my letter, but there's this real sense of uh, FOMO, right? fear of missing out. And, and my fear of missing out, and the, the, it's not only my fear, but it's my fear of my kids missing out on what Christmas is really about. I mentioned before how uh, the kids would you know, ever since they were uh, able to open presents, would get really excited about the presents under the tree. And last year in particular, I remember it kind of, to me, in my heart, it reached this screaming pinnacle of what I did not want Christmas to be. Because for the first time, uh, two of our kids were at the same school, and at that school, they opened up this Wonderland, Winter Wonderland gift shop where they could uh, go through and, and write the names of the people they wanted to buy a present for, and they would find gifts there, and then they would write down how much it is, and they would give it to us at home and say, this is how much money I need in order to buy you 
the, bir- the Christmas gift that I want to give to you. And I'm looking at it, and I'm like, dude, I don't think I want those things. So, you know, maybe you can erase my name off of that list. But it's because they're doing that, and then they want to get not only gifts for mom and sister and brother, but they want to get it for themselves as well. So that's eight presents right there already that they're getting wrapped up in this holiday uh, Christmas gift wrap, and they put it under the tree. And so from early on, early December, these presents are starting to pile around the tree, and they're not like good presents. They're things that they, it's like an eraser for their sister or like a, a, a little, I don't know, this, this car that we got put together and it's going to break in like a a couple weeks and things that Olive and I will look at each other and say, you know what, that's going to, as soon as they're not looking, we're going to throw that away or give that to somebody else. Things that nobody wants. And these are the kind of things that are piling up around the tree. And I remember the, the picture of Christmas was all of these little trinkets around the tree. And I was like, I don't think I want that. That's not what I want my kids thinking Christmas is all about. That's not what I want them to think. This is how we as a family that loves Jesus celebrates Christmas. And as they open up their Christmas gifts and these little things, and and obviously satisfaction, dissatisfaction is going to be guaranteed because they don't have the kind of money to buy real things that is going to make each other happy. And so at the end of it all, as they're throwing paper all around, there's no presents left, and they're looking underneath the, 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 the skirt of the Christmas tree saying, are there any more presents left? Are there any more presents left? And they're left having to deal with that pile of presents, thinking, oh, which one do I actually want to play with? And I'm thinking to myself, Is that what it's become for us? And this year, I put my proverbial foot down. I said, I don't want to do it this way. I don't want you all to feel the same way that I do. I don't want you guys to feel, and, 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 and based on at least four people who walked out that door last week telling me that there's something that this Advent conspiracy, there's something about it that's resonating with our hearts because we want more in our hearts than just this consumer-driven, dollar-driven, money-driven, gift-driven Christmas without thinking and just being stressed out so that when it's all said and done, we're left to wonder, man, is there more to Christmas than this? Because the way that we're doing it, it really does cause us to worship less, to spend a lot, to give not that much, and end up being fighting and bickering and full of stress and not peace. I want to do it a different way. In fact, I think the Lord God has a different way of us celebrating his birthday. And so we've talked so far about what it means to worship fully. Last week, we talked about what it means to spend less. Today, I want to talk about something that sounds a little paradoxical, but I want to talk about what it means to give more. If you look at the, with me to 2 Corinthians chapter Uh, chapter 8. We're going to read a a few verses from here and ask, what does it mean? How does it make any sense to us that we could spend less and at the same time say that we're going to give more and how that captures the heartbeat of Christmas? 2 Corinthians chapter 8, we're going to read verses 1 through 9 and just try and wrap our minds around this idea of giving more this Christmas. 2 Corinthians 8, the Apostle Paul writing to a church in Corinth and pressing upon them through the gospel uh, a call to be generous. It says, And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave us as much as they were able and even beyond their ability Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. 
They didn't do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. So we urge Titus, since he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see also that, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that through his poverty, you, uh, so that you through his poverty might become rich. And this is God's word. So what does this mean for us as we talk about, hey, let's spend less but actually give more? It sounds kind of strange, doesn't it? Um, as we look into this passage, I want to kind of bring out a couple things because at the end of the day, my, my desire is I'm not trying to, to introduce this like brand new innovative way of doing Christmas. I'm not trying to do that. I'm actually just trying to take us all the way back to the beginning, to that first Christmas. What's Christmas really supposed to be about? What was Christmas in all these years leading up to before it got commercialized and, and filled with this consumer mentality? What was Christmas really supposed to be about? Because at the heart, Christmas was not about, never about, and what I'm talking about, this Advent conspiracy is never about don't give gifts to each other. Don't spend money on each other. That's not what I'm saying. Right? Uh, some of you may hear that, but that's not what I'm saying. Hear what I am saying. I'm saying the message of Christmas is that it is about giving, and the call of Christmas is actually to give more. What does that look like even in the face of spending less? Two thoughts here. First thing is this. The desire to give more comes from worshiping fully. That desire to give more is rooted in a, the fullest expression of worship, manifesting itself in generosity. It says in verse 5, they gave themselves First to the Lord. So here's, he's talking about the churches in Macedonia, and their situation here is they are in extreme poverty. He doesn't say the church in Macedonia gave a lot. They were in poverty. It says they were in extreme poverty. Extreme poverty means that poor people are looking at the Macedonians and saying, dang, they're poor. Okay? That's extreme poverty. They're living in extreme poverty, and yet it says here that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. How did they do this? It says in verse 5, they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to others. In other words, when you give yourself to the Lord, this is the language of worship here. It's saying when you worship, you give yourself to the Lord first and foremost, then the necessary result is that we will want to give more, because worship and generosity always go hand in hand. We sang this last week, right? If less of me means more of you, then take everything. And if, if that's what it means, okay, that's, that's worship, right? To declare the worth of somebody. And if this is my way of declaring your worth, God, by the, the only thing that is acceptable is worship to my God is all of me for all of you. And if all of you means less of me, then take everything. That's the language of worship. And if you worship anything, okay, the one that you worship fully as your ultimate object of worship to that person, to that thing, you will give everything that you are. If you worship money, you're going to give everything you, you have in order to get that money. If you worship your job, you're going to give everything to your job. If you worship a relationship, you're going to give everything to that relationship. That's how you know that your worship is inordinately ordered, right? It's wrong 
because we give ourselves to the wrong things. But that's in an ultimate sense, but in a, in a more general sense. The simplest definition of worship, you're just declaring somebody's worth. And so when you say to somebody, oh my gosh, I love your hair today. Had I said that as I look at Sean, who has no hair, but I love your hair today, right? Or I love your glasses today, I love your outfit today, or you look beautiful today, or the way that you sang today was amazing. You are declaring the worth of somebody. And if you declare the worth of anybody, maybe that's a music, maybe it's Ariana Grande, maybe it's Taylor Swift, maybe it's uh, Kanye, I don't know who it is, maybe it's an athlete, maybe it's Kobe Bryant, LeBron, whoever, whoever it is, if you want to see that person, you want to declare their worth, then you will give in order that you could show how much they're worth. Would you pay $10 to watch Rascal Flats in concert? I don't know, maybe you won't, but maybe Chow will pay $100 because the one whose worth you want to declare, you will give to them. And he's saying, hey, as they give themselves first to the Lord, the desire in their hearts is that they would give more. Because worship and generosity always go hand in hand. There are two ways then that we're going to do Christmas. Okay, it's either to worship fully the Christ of Christmas or we will go along with the way the rest of the world does and celebrate a consumer-driven Christmas. What is consumerism? Can, can I tell you at the heart, this is what consumerism is. It says you are number one and your satisfaction and happiness is ultimate and all of these commodities are given in order to sustain and secure your happiness. So you are at the center of consumerism. That's what we talked about last week. So spend, spend, spend. Buy a Lexus. Have a December to remember. Go to K Jewelers. Buy these things. Because ultimately, consumerism says you can buy your satisfaction and happiness. And you can do that for somebody else as well. See, the challenge is consumerism has so affected the way that we in America celebrate Christmas that it filters into not only our Christmas, but in our experience of worshiping God also. Can I tell you what that means? Worshiping Jesus, the Christ of Christmas, means that we declare fully the worth of Jesus this Christmas, that he is number one, but consumer Christmas says, no, 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 you are number one. doesn't even have to be about Christmas. It can just be about the holidays because it's all about you. And the way that consumerism affects our relationship with God then is that Jesus, instead of being a God whom we worship, becomes simply a commodity to enjoy. Do you get this? So here's what happens. Hey, come to church with me. Why? My life has been changed. Did you hear Chow's testimony? Her life has been changed. Come to church with us. Jesus can change your life. Okay, so he comes. But Jesus can change my life in the same way that an air fryer can change my life. Jesus can change my life in the same way that that new car changed my life. Jesus can change my life that that, the way that that new wardrobe changed my life. Lululemon tights. Holy cow. They don't put a hole. This is amazing. My life has been changed by all of these things. Jesus in a consumer-driven Christianity becomes another a commodity for us to consume and therefore to enjoy because you are still number one. And your happiness is the ultimate aim of consumer Christianity. So try Jesus out for six months, and if you don't like it, your satisfaction is guaranteed. Just leave, and you can go find someone else to worship. Go to the Church of Scientology or go worship something else. He's just one of many things. So you can have a little bit of Jesus on the side while you still do whatever you want with your friends. You can have Jesus on your side and still get slammed on the weekends. You can have Jesus on the side and still go cheating on your whatever it is that you cheat on, your taxes, your exams, your wife, whatever it might be. That's what a commodity-driven Jesus is. 
Just someone to be enjoyed, not a God to be obeyed. Can I tell you something? This is poisoning the church in America. This is not the Jesus that our brothers and sisters are languishing in prison in China worshiping a consumer Jesus. That's what a lot of us think. Hey, how come you, we haven't seen you at church lately? Oh, uh, yeah, you know what? Uh, I tried Jesus and I'm just, uh, yeah, I just need a break. Subtext. He's not really satisfying my needs right now. Quite frankly, the boyfriend that I do see is better than the Jesus I don't see. The girlfriend I do see is better than the Jesus I don't see. And this is the toxicity of the consumer-driven Christianity and of a consumer-driven Christmas. We've got to change the script here. Because when we come to fully worship, something happens. When they gave themselves first to the Lord in keeping with the will of God, then they gave themselves first. Something happens when we worship God. You cannot worship God and not be changed. Not the God of the Bible, at least. You can worship your consumer God and leave the same way that you came. Feeling a little bit better about yourself, having a little bit more enjoyment, and going out and doing nothing different than the way you came in, the way that you lived the rest of the week. That's a consumer Christianity, and it's not, the Christian, it's not the Jesus of the Bible. That Jesus is impotent to save you from your sins and to bring about lasting change in your life. Because when we worship fully, you know you're worshiping fully because your heart will begin to grow. When the infinite invades this finite, your heart begins to swell because you become like the one you worship. Have you seen your kids? If your kids worship K-pop stars, they're going to begin acting like K-pop stars. And maybe the reason they do that is because you as a parent worship K-pop stars. You worship somebody with tons of money, you're... then. You're going you're gonna to become a person who wants tons of money also. You become like the one you worship. And so here's this infinitely generous God. When he begins to invade your space, then worshiping fully will cause you to say, I want to be generous with every currency that I have. That's how it was with the Macedonians. They didn't have a lot, but they gave freely because they worshiped God fully. What happens when we begin to worship? When you begin to say, along with the wise men, we have come to worship him. When we say, along with what we sing, oh, come, let us adore him. Not, oh, come, let us be satisfied by him, but let's come to worship him. Then something happens in our hearts. I remember uh, about 11 years ago, I was, I was preaching at a house church in, in, in China. I preached on, on, on the great commandment that, that loving God is always the fountain from which we can love other people, but we've got we've to be loved by God first. So we received that kind of love. And afterwards, um, there was a professor uh, at uh, one of the universities, and I think she taught English because her English was really good. And she came up to me afterwards, and uh, she said, Pastor, thank you for that message. It's such a wonderful message. And she, she started telling me some of the things that was, was good about it. Uh, and then she, she, was, she was crying as she was saying it. And she said, um, yeah, I really appreciated what you said. That's awesome. I didn't, you know, she kind of left at that. So I said, how long have you been coming to, to, this, to this church? She said, this is my first time here. I said, all right, that's awesome. Have you heard of Christianity? She hadn't heard anything. And she said, but I have one question. So we sang this song, Here I Am to Worship, in, in, in Chinese. And she said, can you tell me why when I was singing that song, 
why did I feel the way that I did? That I've never felt something like that ever in my life. I felt warm. I felt joyful. I felt peace. I felt loved. Why did I feel that way? I didn't say it in these words, but that was the overwhelming, right, never-ending, reckless love of God that's invading into your heart, saying, this is what you're, I, I said, because this is what you are made for. You are made to worship God. And right now, God is calling you to him. And when you come to him and worship, he will change you. Right? He will change your heart. God is already working in your heart right now. And you need to surrender to him. Because when you worship God, everything begins to change. Your heart begins to open. Your heart begins to change. And one of the first ways we know, one of the fruit, right? He says, just as you excel, in verse 7, in everything, faith, speech, all of these things, see that you excel in this grace of giving. One of the first indicators that your heart is being changed in worship is we become open-handed. This doesn't always have to be with our money, but it always does affect our money. You, you can give money. You can, you can serve people uh, and do that without having the right heart. But if you have a heart of worship, then these things will necessarily flow out of your life. Change happens when you worship fully. You cannot encounter God and not change. One of the ways we, we become a lot more willing to give, not just of our money, but of our time and of our presence. You know how... This is how I know we've had a spirit-led, spirit-filled worship service. Okay, you know how I know? At the end of worship service, as I'm, as I'm walking out and I, I stand at the door, if people are just kind of peacing out, going to get their food, oh, where are we going to eat, they're talking about anything but what we just did here. Ah, oh, you know, I got to pray more. I need to seek the Lord more. We need more of God's spirit to move in us. But when God's presence comes and we worship fully, it manifests itself in a desire to just linger in this place. I just want to stay here. I just want to, I want to give my heart, my presence, my time, my affection to God. Second Chronicles 7, the dedication of the temple, that's the way it happened. Spirit of God fell for 14 days. They worshiped, and nobody wanted to leave. 2005, I remember preaching in the Dominican Republic, and, and this was a time, might, might have been 2004, I forget when it was. I was preaching in, in, in the Dominican, and, and there was just this really just palpable sense that God's Spirit was there in a really just a powerful way. And as I was uh, preaching on um, God, the, the, the one who pursues the lost, he leaves 99 sheep to go find the one. Uh, he leaves 10 coins in order to find the one that's lost. He leaves uh, one child, one son to go find one. Uh, I was preaching on that. Um, I was preaching in English, and it was being interpreted into Spanish. And as I was preaching, um, it wasn't even anything, it, it just uh, talking like this. And the guy who was interpreting, a pastor named Victor, he just started, he just started weeping. So I'll say something, and, and he's a really good interpreter. So I would say something, he would say something. I'll say something, he would say something. I said something, he didn't say anything for a couple of seconds. I, so I repeated what I said again, and he didn't say anything. So I looked over at him, and he's just like, just crying. And I'm like, kind of awkward. <laughs> and so I, I just kind of looked at him, and, and then uh, another girl named Ann came up, and she tagged, and, and he went out and sat down. And so she continued to interpret few minutes later, just preaching on the pursuing love of God, she just starts crying. I'm like, 
this is like more awkward than the first one because this has just happened. And so she's trying to gain her composure, drink some water, and then she just keeps on crying. And so another guy, Raphael, comes, tags her out. She goes and sits down, and he comes, and he's interpreting, and then he starts crying. Dude, it's kind of like really weird. But people in the, in the congregation, they're just like, God is just ministering to their hearts. I think it was that next day on Sunday, Sunday worship, I was preaching about just God's power, like God is a God of miracles, and just felt this sense of which God was saying, hey, let's um, show them. Okay, don't just say it. Show them. Let them, let them see my power. I didn't know what it was going to look like, so I, I just said, hey, if anyone wants to come and, and, and be prayed for, just come on up. If you're sick, you got something wrong with you, whatever it is. So these people started coming up, and we just started praying for people. And um, people just started getting healed of, of different things. And there was uh, people with skin, skin issues that doctors didn't know what to do. We just prayed for them, and, and their hands were clean. Uh, eczema, psoriasis, whatever it was. People with uh, this one lady was, was crying. She brought her baby. She was like, Little baby, so I don't know how big, how many months old this size is, but probably like six months. Six months, I, I held her, and her, they were like, she's sick. I felt her. I was like, yeah, she's sick. She was ice cold, and she was like crying and was praying for her, praying for her. I gave them back and was praying for other people. They brought her back after 10 minutes, and they said, she's better. She's warm. It's like amazing, and all like different things, and people were being, just being released from whatever there was being released from, and then in that place, I, I just remember I sat back down as we were singing closing praise and after it was done the guy next to me a guy named Pedro he just sat there and he was just like worshiping and he said he put his hand on my leg he's like Pastor David so he talked Pastor David uh, I don't want to go anywhere I don't want to go anywhere I just want to stay here and worship God as I look back almost everybody in the congregation was just sitting there. They were either praying, they were rocking back and forth, they were doing something, but they were just seeking the Lord God. Because something happens when we worship fully that causes us to say, yeah, it's not even my money, but my time. God, I just want to, I'm not in a hurry to leave this place. I want to give my full presence to you. I want to linger in this place because, God, you are worthy of my life. When we worship fully, our worship of God cannot be separated from the expression of that worship through our generosity, in our time, in our talents. In our, you know how you know people are really worshiping? Again, because they're generous in their service. They're generous with their time. They're generous with their money. It doesn't mean that people who are generous with those things are always worshiping. But I will say that you cannot worship fully and not be generous. Because God changes us when we give ourselves first to God. That's what happens. And he begins to work in our hearts and he begins to minister to us. See, the desire to give more begins and it comes from worshiping fully. That's not going to happen if you're just worshiping half-heartedly. Half-hearted worship where you just, oh, why is this taking so long? It's, oh, my gosh, it's 11.27. They're cooking that food and, oh, I can't wait to eat it. And today I'm supposed to meet that dude. And hey, if that's your thought, if that's your mentality, then, yeah, it's going to be different. But when you worship fully, the expression of that worship is going to manifest itself in a desire to be generous with our time, talents, money, all of that stuff. First thing, desire comes from worshiping fully. The second thing, the ability to give more comes from spending less. Okay? The ability to give more 
come from spending less. This is very simple. Okay? Say someone gives you $100. Grandpa gives you $100. Your spouse gives you $100. Your friend gives you $100 in an envelope. You're, oh, my gosh, this is awesome. Yeah, do with it whatever you want. You're, this is great. So say, I've been eyeing those sneakers for $50. So you buy those $50 shoes, and so you got $50 left, and you're really excited. I saw this Kickstarter project and $40 for that thing, and so you spend $40 on that. You're like, yeah, I've got $10 left, and you're like, oh, my gosh, uh, what can I get now? What can I get now? And, and, and you see these mittens at Old Navy's. You're like, oh, these $5 mittens. You've got $5 left, and you're really excited because what are you going to do with that five? I've got to use it. I've got to use it. And, and you see these gummy bears, and you're like, oh, Harry Bow gummy bears, a big box of them, $5. And so you buy those gummy bears, and whew, this was an aw- Thank you, Grandpa, for this amazing gift. Then your friend comes along. He's walking, he's huffing and puffing, he's sweating, he's all messy, dirty looking. They're like, dude, what's wrong with you? <laughs> he's like, oh, my car broke down. I just need $5 for gas. Can you give me, I ran out of gas. Is he $5? Can you give me $5? You go, oh, I don't have $5 to give to you. Oh, you don't, not even, you got nothing in your wallet? No, I, I used it all. What was this guy's deal? The problem wasn't that he didn't have enough money. The problem was that he spent it all. And the reason he couldn't give to someone else was because he spent everything that he had. <laughs> there's, there's no, like, crazy hook to this, guys. It's very simple. The more you spend, the less you can give. That's it. That's my point. <laughs> you want to give more to somebody? Hey, you want to give more to somebody? Then spend less. Pretty simple, isn't it? Look at these guys. Verse 3, verse 2. Out of the most severe trial. There's overflowing joy. There's extreme poverty. Verse 3, they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. How do you give beyond your ability? You use a Macedonian MasterCard or something like that. Oh, yeah, here, just put it on my... They didn't have things like that. How's he going to give more? Because they decided that, you know what, we want to give more. That means we've got to cut out of what we get in order for us to give more we got to spend less. Wow, and so these guys do. They decide to spend less in order that they might give more. So what does it mean? Okay, spending less, giving more, what's the deal with all that? Um, Actually, we'll come back to talk about this next week, but, but let me just kind of tease you with this. If we start small here, and you say to somebody, some, maybe somebody who's here, who's been hearing this, and maybe they're tracking with you. Right? Maybe someone's afraid to say, you know what, what DL is saying, I really like what he's saying. They're afraid to say that because they're afraid to not get a gift from you. But maybe someone is so bold as to say, hey, you know what? <sighs> maybe, maybe what he's saying is right. What might that look like? So if, if anyone has said that to you, maybe you can say, hey, you know what? I was going to give you a $20 gift, and I know you were going to give me a $20 gift also, or maybe you weren't, but let's pretend you were. Why don't we do this? We can maybe still get gifts for other people if there's something that they need, and we, we, we feel so inclined and led to do that, but for you and me, why don't we take that $20 each, $40? Maybe there's someone who needs it more than you and I do. Maybe that could change somebody's world. Next week, I want to talk about this simple reality that when we begin to love all, not just love each other, literally we can change the world. Maybe start small. 
one person here. Hey, you know what? I'm going to buy one less gift. Or maybe you, uh, you guys celebrate the 12 days of Christmas and say, yeah, I usually get 12 gifts for my friend. I'm just going to get them nine gifts this year. And that money I would have spent on, uh, I'll do something else with. Because when we worship fully and we spend less, okay, here's my deal. Can, can, I, can I tell you about a bad gift? I, I thought it was a great gift, but the person I was giving it saw right through it. It was actually a Mother's Day gift, not for Olivia, but for my mom when I was in high school. I was driving home from church. One day, Mother's Day is always on Sunday. Driving home from church. I hadn't done anything, so I hadn't thought much about it. Um, and that's probably the first problem, was that I was too busy with all these other things. So I didn't have time to get a Mother's Day gift, and so I stopped by the only place that was open then, which was Giant, a grocery store in Virginia. Kind of like Publix, right? But... Stopped by Giant, and I was like, what in the world am I going to get my mom here? I'm going to get her, like, meat or something, but going through the aisles. And, in, like, there's, you know, this, like, craft section. and there, Not craft section, fabric section or something like that. There was this maroon-colored, some of y'all are wearing this color, maroon-colored electric lint remover, right? The, you know, they have those roller things. I was like, ah, oh, this is cooler because it automatically zips it up off you. And so I said, I'm going to buy this lint remover for my mom because, she, you know, she probably has clothes that have lint on it. So I'll buy this for her. This is great. And it wrapped in this little, like, giant bag. And so I came home, and she had already come home, and so I wasn't going to, like, uh, wrap, it, wrap it. And so I gave it to her in that paper bag. I was like, happy Mother's Day, Mom. And she looked at it, and it kind of the, the, the look betrayed her, thank you. But uh, it was more this look of, hmm. You didn't really think too much about this. <laughs> kind of an obligation. You just picked this up on the way in from Giant, right? Take the receipt out of the bag before you give it to me. She didn't say that. I think I, yeah, I don't know what happened. But she took it on. She looked at it, and I was like, yeah. And I remember feeling this sense of, dang, I could have done a little bit better this time around. This felt like an, ob- one, I had no idea what to get. Two, I didn't put any thought into it. And to me, when it comes to thinking about the people that I want to I honor on Christmas, it's that same thing. It's that same thought. Man, what do I get them? Like, they got everything. What do you, you know, yeah, there are people, oh, hey, welcome to, uh, welcome to Target. How can I help you? What do you buy for the person who has everything? Right? We say that all there. At least we think that. Oh, you know, someone will go. There's a star registry on the Internet. You can buy a star for somebody in the galaxy, and then we'll, we'll name it after them. Oh, you know, that's amazing. Who cares? That's like, I hope you haven't gotten that for anyone this year. <laughs> but that's crazy. Like, oh, yeah, I've got my own star. Come, everyone, let's get our telescope. Look at that's my star. That's weird. Like, that's kind of, maybe that's, maybe that's your thing. I don't know. But um, not my thing. Please don't buy me a star. But <laughs> some people are like that. What do you get? For people like that, maybe there's, there's got to be a better way. There's got to be a better way. Maybe in thinking about the gift of Christmas, begin to think about the fact of God coming to us at Christmas. See, it wasn't something that you could measure in money. But he gave a relationship. He gave himself. He gave his time. And everywhere that Jesus went, that's what he did. 
Maybe the most meaningful gifts then are the kind of gifts that really elevate and celebrate a relationship that you have with somebody. Maybe it's not so much if, 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 I, if I relieve myself of the stress of trying to find the perfect gift, maybe I'll have the wherewithal in me to really sit down and, and to give a gift that really matters. I hope I'm not putting too much pressure on myself to give Olive something amazing this year, but maybe that's what's going to happen. I think a little bit more deeply about what I'm giving. And to really think about, hey, maybe it's, it's not about spending all of this money. Maybe it's about giving more of my heart and giving more of my time. Maybe it's about what, simple, simple thing. One guy, one uh, college student bought his dad a, a $10 bag of coffee beans. He said, Dad, I can give this to you, but the only thing, you can only drink it, only drink it with me. And when we drink coffee together, I want you to start from the beginning and, and just tell me your story. And so the dad got that bag of coffee, and what he's hearing in that bag of coffee is that my son wants my time, and he wants to give me his time. And so the son spent the other $40 that he would have used on something for his dad and gave it to a worthy cause, to a person, to a place, to an organization that needed it, maybe more than his dad did. But I don't think his dad was not happy with that $10 gift of his promised time. There's another dad who daughter was a high school senior. She was graduating in May, and in August she was going off to college. And he was pretty jacked up, messed up about that. And so that Christmas he bought two journals. He bought one for his daughter, and he bought one for himself. And he said, in this journal, I want you to just write everything over the next year. Write how you feel about leaving us. Write how you feel about going to college, your fears, your questions, your doubts, all of the, 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 the complaints, the frustrations. Write all of that stuff, how you feel as you get into college. And I'm going to write the same thing. And next Christmas, we can give our heart to each other. The giving of the relationship cannot be measured in the currency of dollars and cents. There's this two, two girls who had been raised by their, uh, their great-grandmother. And then since they'd moved away and, and lived miles and miles and hundreds of miles apart, so they couldn't see their great-grandmother. And so for Christmas, what they decided to do was they decided to fill a mason jar, cut it into 52, uh, cut construction paper, all different colors, 52 strips, and each of them would write, or they would write together uh, some of the best memories that they would have of their grandmother. Uh, we always loved holding your hand as we walked to feed the ducks by the pond. We loved smelling the smell of great-grandma when she would pick us up from school. Uh, loved coming home to your house because the apple pie that you baked and all of these things, and they gave it to her with the instruction that at the beginning of every week, you read this, and you remember how much we love you. Their great-grandmother said that every week, she could not wait to go to sleep on Sunday night so that she could wake up on Monday morning in order to read what her great-granddaughters had written. So that became my favorite moment of the week, not just for nostalgia's sake, but for the sake of worshiping God. What a profound impact and a year-long gift that was. So much more than a snow globe that great-grandma can shake and put on her fireplace at night. Maybe when we decide to spend less, we can actually give more. Gifts that matter 
gifts that won't be returned, gifts that communicate the love that somebody has for another person, gifts that continue to... I mean, isn't that why moms and dads put pictures on their refrigerator that none of us... What is that? Oh, that, that, that blob over there of brown and orange and green created mass of Crayola markers. Oh, that's mommy holding her son's hand as they walk to school in the middle of the winter. What? That's crazy. Yeah, but to the mom or to the dad, it's a celebration of the relationship. And because of that, they decide that this gift is precious. We spend less on certain things. We can give more, we can give more of our heart, give more of our time to, to bake some lemon bars for somebody, to bake some brownies for somebody, to bake some snickerdoodle cookies for somebody, whatever that we can do in order to value the relationship over the consumeristic idea of what Christmas could be like. One Christmas, my brother, who was in fourth grade at the time, and me, who was in first grade, my brother was always, he was my hero, and so everything he did, I wanted to do. And when we were at that age, um, we were, would go after school, go to a babysitter. Um, Mrs. Crotty was her name. Mrs. Crotty was the uh, Girl Scout leader. She had a daughter named Elizabeth and a brother uh, and a son named Patrick. And uh, we would go to be babysat by Miss Crotty. And so um, it was at Mrs. Crotty's house that I uh, learned to watch I Love Lucy. And we watched uh, talk shows and and things like that. But one of the things that she also did was um, she did crafts with us. And one year she said, I want you to pick a person that you want to give a gift to. So my brother said, "Um, how about our dad? And so Mrs. Crotty said, how about you, David? I, my brother said, Dad. I said, how about our dad? And she said, okay. So she had these uh, cans of corn that she emptied out, and we peeled the, the label off of them, so it was just a, a, a tin can, aluminum can. And she said, we're going to make pen holders for your dad so that your dad can put all of his pens in there and keep his pens. So uh, she had all this yarn, and she had us uh, pick the colors that we wanted. And so my brother picked Christmas colors, like this poinsettia. It was red, maroon, and green, and white. And then uh, I chose rainbow colors. I chose, like, red, and yellow, and green, and orange, and white, and black, and brown. And so we would put glue all over the outside of that can. We'd spread it around. And then from the bottom, layer by layer, we would put uh, one string around the can until uh, yarn filled the can, and it became this beautiful craft pen holder. So my brother was doing that and I was doing this and for my little sixth grade hands the dexterity wasn't quite there and so I I didn't like lay it on top of each other all nice and it was kind of jaggedy and crooked and and there was like glue showing and and metal showing and all of this stuff but but to me I was like these colors are beautiful like this is awesome and and I made it and I was really proud of what I did Uh, and then I, I, I went to show my brother and before I showed him I looked at his, and his was like perfect. It was like green, red, white, all perfectly laid on top of each other. I was like, wow, yours is really good. And my brother said, yours is really good too. So we let it dry, and then on Christmas morning, uh, we gave it to Dad. said, Merry Christmas, Dad. And uh, Dad was a man of few words, like you know, many of our first-generation Asian dads. But he smiled, and his smile told us that he loved it. But I always thought, yeah. But compared to my brothers, mine is not really all that. 
But a few days later, I went into Dad's office upstairs where he would pay his bills and all our encyclopedias were. And, and I saw prominently displayed in the center of the desk was my brother's beautiful pen holder filled with pens and right next to it, my jaggedy, crooked-looking, messed-up-looking glue showing with pens in it, my pen holder. And I remember thinking, Daddy sees that my messed-up pen holder is just as beautiful as my brother's perfect one. This March, um, I was home at my parents' home in Virginia. Um, I had done some, some ministry up there, and I went down into the basement of my parents' house where my dad's office now is. He's got his little putting green there, and he's got a desk, and on the desk is a big framed picture of uh, of my dad and my mom and some little pictures of our families, my brother's family, my family. And right in the front, 35 years later, were these two messed-up-looking pen holders that dad had kept all of these years as his way of saying, my kids gave their heart to me. And I wonder if he appreciated that a whole lot more than a coffee mug with a little Jack Frost nipping at his nose. Maybe that's what it means to give more this Christmas. Maybe it's not about spending a lot of money. Maybe it's not about getting all this stuff. Maybe it's about the simple things that speak volumes because they're made with thoughtfulness, care, time, love. We give that to them. Maybe the greatest thing about that is not in what they actually get, but in the fact that that reflects the heartbeat of God a whole lot more than a gift pulled off the shelf. Because the gift of God was not something haphazard, but hundreds and thousands of years before it was planned. A gift that could not be measured by money, could not be measured by dollars, could not be bought with a credit card, but he gave his son in order to say, I want a relationship with you, and that relationship is going to be predicated not on anger, not on condemnation, not on bitterness, but upon love. And I give my gift of myself to you. And as Jesus walked this earth, the people that he met with, he didn't, hey, today I've got a goodie bag for you and a gift bag for you. I've got flowers for you. The Bible doesn't record any of that. The, the one commodity he might have given it was on the night he was betrayed, he broke bread and he gave it to his people and said, this is me and this is us. This is us. We're a people whose lives are defined by a singular act of love, the giving of a relationship, the giving of love that no money could buy. This is what defines us. The rest of the world defines the day of his coming in so many other ways. But maybe this year, it can be different with us. At least with us, we could say, let's do it differently. Let's worship the king. Let's worship him. And as we do, we'll want to give more. Let's spend less because when we do, we'll have the ability to give more. And maybe that, maybe that's the kind of gift that our loved ones really need this Christmas, a gift that shows them the beauty of the gospel and of what Christ has done, for, a, a gift that really communicates the heartbeat of Christmas. Let's pray.
Let's take a minute to pray right now and just ask the Lord God that he would help us to really think through what this means for us. Paul says, I'm not commanding you to do this, but I want to test the sincerity of your love. I'm not, I'm not saying we're going to do this as a church program. Yeah, don't buy anything. Not, it's never what the heart of this was. Christmas was always about gifts. But it was not always about the money. It was not always about the shopping. And it was not all about the consumerism that says you are and your satisfaction and happiness is number one. Christmas is first about Jesus, that he is number one. He is the one we worship. Not commanding anyone to do this, but asking to think through, what does it look like for you to worship God this Christmas? For some of you, you can worship God and do it the way that um, you've been doing it. That's, that's, that's completely cool. I can't do that. Maybe you can't either. And if you can't, then what's God asking you to do differently this year? Let's take a few moments right now just to think about that, to pray about that. Ask the Lord that he would help. This Christmas, Lord, change my life and use my life to change another life and use my life and use our church to change the world. Some way, some small way. So Lord, help us. Let's pray. One minute committing our hearts to the Lord. Worship fully. Let's be changed in his presence. Let's pray for a moment. We'll continue on. Father in heaven, I get so excited when I think about how freeing Christmas really can be. Not because we don't love or we don't care and we don't get gifts from anybody, not because of that. But because it frees us to give the kind of things that really matter. To give our time, to give our thoughtfulness to give a handwritten note. Maybe still to give that toy car. Maybe still to give that bracelet. Maybe still to give that jewelry. But to do so with the intentionality that helps the recipient to really value, to know that we value the relationship above all other things. I guess what I'm praying, Lord, and what I'm hoping for what I'm asking you to do in our hearts is that we just be thoughtful and intentional about the way that we celebrate Christmas. Not just going with the flow because that's what we're supposed to do, but thinking about how a change in how we do Christmas can change the world this Christmas for somebody that we know. We know that today our angel tree Christmas party is going to change the world for some of these kids. 
Know that tomorrow, through shopping with firefighters, it's going to change the world for some of these kids. Lord, we pray that it would be more than just these ways, but the way we worship you, the way we steward what you have entrusted to us would be our ways of redeeming Christmas this year so that we could worship you. Thank you so much. We love you because you've loved us first, and we give to you now because freely you gave everything to us. Thank you so much. Pray these things in Jesus' name.